0: how are things in dc has your city burned down not, yet not quite or,
1: uh... no everything's pretty mm-hmm. much how i left it so good. that's good for the most part i like things how they
0: Clarify my comment that but... Um, we're recording this a couple of hours after the CAPS won.
1: Oh, that's what you're referring heaven. to. Okay. Yeah, now, if the city's burning, to. the flames haven't reached me yet, because I don't live very near the middle. <laughs> I don't think they will. I mean, no. It, it's a big win for a city that's had a really horrible, miserable uh, professional sports existence for my whole lifetime. And the fact that they just made it to the second round, I mean, not <laughs> that overwhelming. <laughs> But it's surprising because they just have such a reputation for being horrible chokers. And I'm not a fan of theirs, so I can say this with objectivity.
0: I was going to say, despite being a D.C. kid, yeah. like born and raised, mm-hmm. you're not no, a fan. No, I'm a big
1: Philadelphia Flyers fan. This my dad was. So I was raised on that, and it served me very well through my life compared to being a Caps fan, because that would be a hellacious experience. <laughs> um, but I, I did root for them this, this round because it helped out the Flyers seating wise So that was sort of weird and uncomfortable at times, but it worked out, and it's over, so. <laughs> it made you so, question yourself? A little bit. I mean, it was, you know, just disorienting, but. Sure. I, I was trying to, try to figure out a segue. I think there was a conversation on Twitter between a few blogger type people. One of the most notable was Footfall, who we both know, Tumani, yep. and he was talking about trying to, because he doesn't, he didn't seem like he knew anything about the NHL, which is fair, because he's British, and he was trying to figure out, like, Parallels between it and tennis to explain it, there really aren't any to speak of. I mean, it's a completely different yeah, animal. I, I think I think that probably reflects more on tennis than hockey. I think it's just like it's its own thing, and you can't make cross sport comparisons at all.
0: Interesting. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's probably no. I mean, I I, uh, I did see that conversation, and uh, I'm a Bay Area kid, so I'm a Sharks fan. Um, and uh, I was I I think I I did spend a good forty five minutes trying to decide who the Sharks were in ten in tennis terms. Yeah. And I really couldn't pick Well the it Sharks
1: up. for people who have no idea what we're talking about. The Sharks are a team that's much like the Caps actually in terms of their success. They are a very good regular season team who does not ever really make a move in the playoffs and has never been to the finals, the Sharks. So basically we're Andy Murray. But not even that. I mean like that's the thing that's the thing that's the thing with te- that just doesn't make them compatible is that tennis, people so many more more people win in tennis, first of all. There are more True. chances to win big titles. Four times as many. Okay. Eight times as many if you think of both men and women being around. And you know and there's just and there's more dominance than in hockey at least. So the Sharks would probably be somewhere around, I don't know, like a Ferrer or something.
0: Ooh. But, It's
1: okay, but I just don't think any of the analogies work that well. So.
0: No, I don't. I think you're probably. No,
1: you can't win a smaller title in hockey. Just, I guess you you can win a regular. I don't know.
0: But the but the thing with the Sharks is that I mean like David David Ferrer like you feel like he's pretty much maxed out his talent like there's almost a I mean there's a level of respect for David Ferrer in his ability to kind of do what he's been able to do in his career. Gasquet. Okay, because I'm gonna say. Gasquet is closer. Because, like, for those who don't know, the Sharks are, uh, uh, like, on paper, a fantastic team. And they should be able to, like, go deep in the playoffs. Like, they not everywhere. Part
1: but They get partway way you're not.
0: Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, they can't get past the Canucks or the Red Wings or whoever. And it's really, really frustrating. And talent-wise, it doesn't make sense. They've always had the talent to be able to do it. They just... And it's not even that they choke. I don't know. whatever. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't know why I brought up talk, brought up hockey. It just makes me. I sad. wanted. A,
1: I was trying to go with one for my flyers, and I couldn't. Eventually, just picked results instead of personality, and went with the because they've yes. you know been so consistently good for so long. I never won a title, or I haven't won a title in uh, thirty plus years. So, and making like that? thirteen semifinal equivalents in that time.
0: That is a esque, yeah. So.
1: Even dementia would be like, "Ooh, ooh.
0: really? <laughs> she
1: she married a hockey player, so she she knows what we're talking about.
0: I love that. I love those those like little videos on YouTube where she's like watching Max play, and there's like the moments where she just is like not face but she totally has this look of a facepalm, mm-hmm. like you are a horrible athlete.
1: She learned she learned from the best spectator in the world, which is her mother. Yes, yeah,
0: she. Oh, I miss her mother. It's been a pretty heavy, I think, tennis news week. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, Ben, but I, I'm kind of used to uh, the weeks being much more focused on results of tournaments. Yeah. And it feels like this week is a little bit different. Uh, one of the major kind of news stories to come out is the fact that the San Jose tournament, um, the ATP San Jose tournament, um, the owners of that tournament who also also own the San Jose sharks have sold the rights to their tournament to Memphis, I believe, mm-hmm. and then Memphis is going to go to Rio. Yes, right or Brazil. I think
1: or Brazil. I don't know Rio for sure. Brazil,
0: sure, but Brazil. So basically, what I understand it to be is that in in a couple of years, uh, there will there will only be five tournaments held in the U.S. Like between during that like a post Aussie Open till. Um, like uh, the the clay season Mm -hmm. stretch. Um, and I think I read somewhere those would be
1: just to recap. Those would be Memphis, Delray, Indian Wells, Miami, Miami. and Charleston.
0: Yes. Okay. Um, and whereas back in 1980, which is about 21, 22 years ago, I guess, um, there was something like 30. Wow, Jesus. Um, there were 20 tournaments played in that time stretch. Yeah.
1: Interesting.
0: So that's kind of an incredible trend. So I don't know. I mean, there there have been a number of, of articles written this week. I think, uh, you know, I think almost everybody's written on what that all means. And, you know, are we talking about kind of, you know, the fact that are we look, are we going to spend our time lamenting the fact that there is no money in kind of American tennis and how American tennis is, has kind of taken four steps backwards? Um, or is this just kind of a tip of the cap to the future of tennis, which is is true globalization? Um, I don't know. What do you you think about it? We talked
1: about it earlier in the year when the South American clay swing was going on, that we thought that, you know, it should be a bigger deal, that we thought that South America, for all the champions and players they produced, and for their enthusiasm for tennis, they deserve to have more tournaments. I mean, all they had is a couple 250s. So I don't think anybody can begrudge them that. And I also don't think, at least in the modern era, that American tennis really paid a whole lot of attention to Miami and San Jose. I'm sorry, Memphis and San Jose. The fields they got were not very good. They definitely didn't attract any big names outside of um, North American players and uh, occasional Fernando Verdasco. And... (laughs) I just think that America I don't think this really affects American tennis. American tennis still has enough marquee events in the name, in the way of Indian Wells, Miami, uh, Cincinnati, and because I don't look at it just that part of the calendar. And That part of the calendar, I think, is a real sort of throwaway part of the calendar as far as it I'm is concerned. So I mean, American indoor tennis hasn't been a big deal for a long time. It was once upon a time for sure, back when tennis was regularly being played in Madison Square Garden and and the Virginia Slims Tour was going all sorts of arenas around the country before there were more tennis-dedicated facilities, which is a different, a different time, a different way the calendar was arranged. And I think for the global growth of the sport, for the way the flags look very different in the rankings now, the way the tour is now just mirrors that more accurately. And so I don't think, I, from, from a non-patriotic point of view, I don't think there's anything wrong with more tennis events in the American winter leaving the U.S.,
0: I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think that, I mean, I, I'm i very much in favor of the globalization of tennis. I don't like when um, the sport is kind of focused on a singular country um, or kind of one country dictates um, the storylines, the narrative uh, of what's going on. I, you know, I mean, I feel like American media and British media already do that enough simply because we're the English speaking media um and we can kind of craft stories the way that we want to craft them and and uh push storylines to the front that maybe aren't um and um so i so i like that i mean i think that there's a lot to be said about the fact that you have like two major i mean you were there ben um in charleston when Billie jean king was talking um a few weeks ago and she was like you know we're not in africa and, and we're barely in south america i mean we have major continents middle where women yeah the middle east you know that we haven't really tapped and um, South America is one of those countries, one of those you know regions that is super ripe for it because they are actually they are they already know tennis. Yeah. We we actually don't have to educate them. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of bringing them there. They want it. There. They
1: really want it. They get great. Attention. They
0: want it exactly. So you know what? I mean, at the bottom line is this: like people can complain and they can bitch and moan all they want, but if San Jose was sold out every year, this wouldn't be an issue. This wouldn't happen. And I yeah, and I've been in San Jose for the last like, two or three years at that tournament and it's not it's awkwardly empty and if that's going to be the support that you get like you honestly like what are we complaining about
1: this is one of your right? local tournaments uh yeah what is the mood like in the bay area about this is it making an impact this news
0: yeah it, it is i mean it actually is one i mean i was it was funny i was sitting on uh, the train Last night I I took the train into San Francisco and um, there was like a newspaper under one of the benches and it was a sports page. And on the front page of, it wasn't even the San Francisco Chronicle. I think it was the San Jose Mercury. It was a small inset article about how this, you know, venerated, you know, tournament that's been a tradition within the Bay area was gone. So it's definitely making headlines. um, But it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you don't get to cry about it after the fact. Right. Like, so it, why are people going to care now if they didn't care then it, you know like i was there again i was at it, at the san jose tournament a few uh, you know whatever in february empty yeah completely really really bad atmosphere nobody cared it doesn't make sense because it's a tournament that's held in silicon valley which has a crap load of money and you can't get infuse more money and get like more fans interested i mean and I, money
1: does and money does correlate to tennis fans yes it just that's the way it is so. so i
0: yeah so i just kind of was like you know obviously i'm more i'm a younger tennis fan than like a lot of the articles that i'm being seen that are written about how it's tragedy that the San Jose tournament is leaving are written by older tennis fans yeah. i don't have that that history with the tournament so i don't have that emotional attachment i don't know maybe it's also because i'm a pragmatist and i'm like look the tournament kind of sucked yeah the last few years i mean it was a I can understand why why players would not want to play here. So if you can, far away, far away,
1: where it was in the calendar, it was the only thing Mm -hmm. anywhere near that time zone for a while. So, yep. I mean, I think having never been there, but just looking at it from the outside, it always seemed like a tournament that never made a whole lot of sense to me in the time that I've been aware of it. Obviously, they're saying now it's something ridiculous like 120 years old or something, but (laughs) which I don't entirely. By, even if it is true, it's not really, you know, right. it's, not, it does, it's not, you know, a fair representation of what the SAP Open means to the ATP Tour.
0: Right. So, not the ATP, or, the ATP Tour as it exists today. And the bottom line is like tradition is great and all, but tradition doesn't pay the bills.
1: Even Memphis, which is a 500, I mean, eh, like, as we talked about that week, there were six players playing 250s who would have been the top seed in Memphis who chose not to go there. Yep. So Memphis getting, I assume Memphis is getting downgraded to 250. Then is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So they're getting San Jose's spot on the that sort of yeah hierarchy. Yeah, so that seemed, that seemed, I can't I can't lose sleep over that either when they don't have a top ten player there.
0: I mean, like for example, like the the same time that all this news about about the San Jose tournament leaving uh, the Bay Area and, and and all that, two made you know two major or three major announcements actually, a uh, or first um wimbledon ups its prize money Mm
1: -hmm.
0: goes up 4.5 percent to the champions but most importantly it goes up 26 i think percent to the first round uh uh losers as well as there's a significant increase in the second round and third round as well so prize money at at the slams going up because they're making money hand over fist another announcement the Seoul tournament
1: yeah uh, that one was crazy
0: Holy crap like it went it's a, it's still an international level tournament um and last year the prize money the 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 total prize purse was two hundred and twenty thousand dollars this coming year it's been it's going to five hundred thousand that's more than double
1: and for like no clear okay. reason just to give then to give him more money
0: they they've lost their title sponsor it's no longer called the Hansel Korea Open it's just called the korea open i mean so they and they are committed to making it like the one of the preeminent sporting events like in Korea. Um, yeah, which is, which is fantastic. So, as much as like we're gonna sit here and lament the fact that American tennis. Oh, and also the third one, I think um, Cincinnati, the Mason tournament, near and dear to both of our hearts, yeah. Ben, announced that they that the tournament brought in sixty two point five million into the local economy.
1: Mostly to Applebee's.
0: Mostly to Applebee's. I mean, all to Applebee's. Really, all of our <laughs> to Applebee's. And yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, so and so... fourth,
1: not entirely related, but the um, Washington tournaments merged this week too. They yes. Now the eight, the Leg Mason got a bigger title sponsor in City than it had before, Citibank, and it's now a combined women's event too. They merged those two parts together because the women's event was really not anywhere up to the level of anything that should be a tennis tournament in North America, honestly. Yep. So th- seeing those two together, that's just growth for the game. They're building a new stadium there so i mean you know tennis is doing fine it's just about these markets and i understand that tennis for a lot of people is local if you're a tennis fan in the bay area or in western tennessee i mean this sucks for you and i do understand that and that you know my thoughts go out to you but at the same time in the big (laughs) picture tennis is doing okay i think
0: i think so and and uh Tennis has to go where it can be supported. Yeah. And sometimes that means really weird decisions such as like the WTA deciding to do its year-end championships in Doha. Yeah. The environment sucked, but like let's stop and think about how much money the WTA made off of that deal. You know, it wasn't great, but they got paid a lot of money and that money goes towards you know, new staff, bigger staff, more resources to allow the tour to do what it's going to do. Like, other everybody teams wants to yeah, supporting or... all the tournaments. People want to sit and they want to say, you know, well the the year in championship should be in Madison Square Garden. Like let's bring them back. There's a part of me that wonders whether or not like you would ever be able to have the crowd at Madison Square Garden that you had in Istanbul this last year. Hmm. So like, yeah, I under I mean, I would love for America to be the center of the tennis world, but I'd also love for tennis to still exist as a sport yeah. on a professional level. And I prefer to see it grow. And if that means it's got to go to like weird places, not weird, but like, you know, different places, non-American places to do it.
1: I mean, the stories people are writing about death of American tennis are decidedly not death of all tennis. I mean, you know, it's doing it's alive and well. It's just sort of, I don't want to say a refugee, but, you know, it's found other, you know, feeding tubes to hook onto around the world. And that's right. cool. And that they're bigger, better than they were before. I mean, you didn't have... I mean, the term in Stuttgart is handing out Porsches to everybody. That's cool. cool. You can't be mad at that. Nope. And if, you know, San Jose wasn't doing that, sorry, it, I mean, no one expected them to, but it's just, you know, they're doing okay, and they're surviving, and it's, it's that's how a free market tennis economy sort of looks. Pretty much. So, this week, we are doing yet another, as we do every week. Um, We're doing another installment of our wildly successful "Take a Number" segment, wherein you're so braggy. Uh, you know, if you're gonna brag, don't be humble about it. I, I, <laughs> Fair <laughs> point. I don't want to get retweeted by those people. I'm really kind of sad that no one has ever, no tennis player has ever been included in humble brag. We're both big fans of no. humble brag. For those of you who don't know it, well, you, you're a bigger hum- fan than I am. So explain humble brag to people.
0: Okay, uh, humble brag is a concept that was effectively started by this guy who's now a writer for Grantland, and I think he writes for like Parks and Rec as well. But it's the concept of someone trying to humbly brag. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's particularly focused on Twitter. Yep. So, hold on, let me pull up some humble brags.
1: They say things basically like, "Oh, it's so awkward when you're sitting in the subway." And you see the person next to you, like looking at your face on the cover of a magazine and you're like, Oh, is this really you? And you're like awkward. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, celebrity tweets. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and there've there been tennis, exa- there've been tennis examples that this has happened.
0: Yes. Oh, Caroline Wozniacki is like the most amazing humble bragger. Like, I, th- I feel like she's numero uno in my books, but they did humble brag did call out Rory McIlroy. Mm. And the tweet was this: Number one again without touching a golf club this week. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think was a pretty so good. So it, it's brag. a
1: brag, and then it's saying something sort of self-deprecating along with it too.
0: Right, but the reality of it is is that it's a brag.
1: Although so, Caroline, yeah. Caroline, I feel like doesn't always <laughs> self-deprecate when she brags. She she just says things like off to Monte Carlo for a Grand Prix, and then you know, over over I to Hanover that, for that, a big concert.
0: That's different. That's just a straight-up brag. And my friends and I have joked about, like, kind of this hashtag, like, own the brag. So now that Humble Brag has called you out for being, like, self-deprecating within your brags, like, just, like, brag.
1: Which is what I was doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, tonight I'm going to a dinner where the original nine are going to be there. I'm so excited. I don't even know if that's a brag, but it was to me. Yeah,
1: that should be a brag.
0: It was cool. Anyways.
1: So now we, for the take a number, we do a number between one and a hundred. Very braggy. We like it a lot, and we pick a man and woman. Last week we had a lost episode, which may surface at some point. So we haven't really been off there that long.
0: Yeah, because, but but that's mainly because you got it sick.
1: Is. So we have excuses. And last time we did number fifty, and we got on the women's side we got the aforementioned Yermil Gadesova. On the men's side we got Lukash Kubo. That's right. Yeah. So that went pretty well. So if you guys get a chance to listen to it, hopefully we yeah. give you that chance. we will get to hear it. If not, you'll never will. And this week, we have a nearby number, number 50. We have number 57. We're very good at these, like, middle-of-the-pack numbers. Random.org, random.org brags about being so random. They're giving us a lot of, like, what you'd expect a random number to be.
0: We still need to get into the top 20, man. You haven't broken
1: the top 20 yet. It's horrible. We were so excited for 23 when that happened. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty meager. But 57, do you have the lady who corresponds to that? I do. All right. Why don't you go? Tell us who she is first. Introduce our take a number debutante.
0: I I have to say, I'm a really I'm a fan of number 57 oh. slash WTA 57. She has won Stanford. She's Polish. Mm-hmm. She is also Canadian. She is Alexandra Wozniak. We talked
1: about her before on Take a Number.
0: On um, Take a Number?
1: Yeah, remember? We talked Brad. about her, um, she was our bonus person in Char- when we did the Charleston episode. Oh,
0: no. So then do we need to do a new I think one? we
1: do need to do a new one. But we get a bonus okay. guy, because the, a the guy we haven't done before. Okay. We'll get a bonus All guy right. this time. And the bonus okay. guy is um, ranked number 57 in the ATP tour, but number one in eyebrows. And that is oh, no. Fabio Fognini.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, I got some things to say about Fabio Fognini.
1: We'll talk about him now, before we spin the wheel again. What are your thoughts about Fabio Fognini, Courtney?
0: All that I really needed to know about Fabio Fognini, other than the fact that his name is Fabio, (laughs) is that apparently, and this was told to me by by Italians, is that his nickname in Italian is Fogna, which means sewer. (laughs) and he like he and his team are like proud of that why like like they have t-shirts that say like you know whatever not lafonia because i don't maybe it's lafonia i don't know i don't know italian but they they like wear team t-shirts that have that nickname on it and he's totally he loves it he loves the fact that like that's his nickname that's and that's all I needed to know about Fabio Fognini, and that's all you need to know about Fabio Fognini. He's.
1: I think the eyebrows are important too.
0: The eyebrows are important. Um,
1: they are spectacular. I don't know if you've seen them in person, but they are—they are, they are straight You oh, see them from across. The
0: they're zone. perfectly, um, and meticulously, uh, manicured. So they—they're not like the cool, like, bushy eyebrows of a Peter Gallagher. <laughs> But they're just like you're like wow really? No, 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 nor are I they affect? chola eyebrows. No, they are definitely not like you know meth brows. They, These are just like perfectly done.
1: They're like enormous bolded hyphens above his eyes.
0: Yes, it's just a little unfortunate that he's kind of a prick.
1: Oh, I would I don't know I mean I've never talked to him I don't know much about his personality. Um, I do know that he made the the quarterfinals of French Open last year. Yes. Yeah, and he won a. And how
0: how did that run end?
1: With him pulling out due to injury in the quarterfinals, and <laughs> which which some Djokovic fans claim threw off Djokovic's momentum. Federer. Yeah, some people. I've seen, I've heard people blame Fonini for Djokovic losing.
0: Oh, I've never heard. I've never heard like people blame him for it. Yeah,
1: I think it's a little grasping at straws. I don't hear. I don't, you I don't hear it a lot, to... but I, had, I did hear one uh, right when it happened.
0: I, I just remember like it happening and just being like. Of course. Of course you would do that, Fabio Fognini.
1: Cuz he wasn't winning that match.
0: He wasn't going to win it, so he pulled the record. Yeah. And for those who don't know the context, this isn't like just coming out of the blue. Like the guy has a long history of tremendous gamesmanship, kind of my understanding is that he comes from like a wealthy family. Like not like Ernest Golbus wealthy, but like wealthy enough mm-hmm. to wear you know, what has been implied in the past is that he, he doesn't exactly have to try all that hard because his livelihood is taken care of. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, he's just, I don't know. I find him just unlikable. I'm sorry. Sorry, Fabio Fognini. I just.
1: So you're not you're not you're but, not an eyebrows girl. Is basically, what we're saying.
0: yeah. You, you know, he and I just don't see eye to eyebrow.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> He he would be he would be someone who would look at you and say, oh, "Excuse me, my eyebrows are up here."
0: Exactly, <laughs> and I would say, "I know, that's all I can look at because they're weird." Yes.
1: Um. So, spun the wheel again, and you'll be excited. This happened the last time we actually had to redo it. We got our lowest number ever. And okay. This time we got a single digit number. So that's, that's exciting. First of all.
0: Holy crap balls! I'm so excited. That's okay. a
1: single digit number. Is number six. <laughs> so, okay, Courtney. Who who is the lady in six? The woman.
0: O x y g e n oxygen. oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only, the irreplaceable, the irrepressible, Caroline Lozziaki.
1: Caroline, number number six on the WTA. And I'm guessing far lower on the Danish singles chart. <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be wrong. You
0: could be, you could be wrong.
1: Um, for the men, we have another person we talked about here. Mm-hmm. It was number five for a long time recently. And now down to number six is David Ferrer. So it's interesting. I always wonder what it would be like when we finally got into the, the higher rankings. And it's sort of... Like, how, do
0: you, how, how do you feel about it, Ben? I
1: sort of feel like we already know this, year, but there's nothing to say.
0: I feel like we talk about Caroline a lot.
1: We do. I'm sure Um, we made one of those word clouds of this podcast. I think (laughs) was "neck" would be a big word.
0: I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. So that's a little bit tough, but you know, I mean, I think we talk about her because, well, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know how you feel about it. I've never ever thought that she was irrelevant. I've always thought that she's a tremendously relevant player on the tour, Um, and as her you know as she's gone up and down and obviously 2012 is is not the most ideal year for her um that's when things get interesting yes it's not she's not an interesting person to talk about when she's winning tournament after tournament but she is an interesting person to talk about like as she struggles because i don't know i, I feel like her talent maybe gets put into the proper context i think that her potential gets discussed a little bit more. What changes? And obviously she's still very young. So
1: but yeah. There's something, I mean, something about her. Is yeah. She's, I mean, she really mm-hmm. has become a magnet for talking about and for criticism on one end and just sort of, you know, she is, she was made into a big, because she was number one. She, for so long, she was made into the face of the WT tour to a large extent when everyone else was not playing regularly yeah. Uh, Caroline was Caroline was showing up all the time and playing and doing lots of press and doing lots of commercials. Have you ever watched the European feed of anything? You've seen the Turkish Airlines commercial thirty times an hour, uh, mm. and it's just sort of an it's sort of an interesting thing that she became, you know, this most talked about person. Serena, I think, still maybe Serena is in a bigger context, and maybe Sharapova is sort of more popular, but. Wozniacki is, is the lightning rod in WTA for the last two years. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon that she became that way. And I do think she is more interesting now that she's number six in a lot of ways.
0: Ab- uh, why? Explain it.
1: Well, because I think, and I, we talked about this before, and it's sort of, it's definitely not an anti, I mean, I don't mean this is anything against her personally at all, but, I mean, it was always more interesting to watch her struggle than to watch her Win easily because the way she won easily was never very fun to watch, Correct. with the way the defense, the lack of um, assertiveness during points, and uh, she is now stopping that. I mean, the way she played Serena at Miami, she's changing gears, and she has shown the capability to be able to play Serena extremely well and beat her when I mean, Serena wasn't playing that badly, honestly. Right. And so that is in her. But at the same time, she seems to refuse to do that a lot. Um, obviously, the coaching stuff with her, with her getting rid of Ricardo Sanchez very quickly, in favor of working with her father again. I mean, every. I mean, it's just you know, there's a lot there. And her dating Rory McElroy and being extremely public about it. I mean, you know, she's not shying away from the attention. True. So I, I, I find her fascinating, as, as
0: we said. Do you now? Do. do. you? Do. Yes. Nope. Is about Caroline primarily has been. I think. I mean, we laugh about her off-court antics mm-hmm. but they're harmless oh and, yeah and they're fun and no one begrudges for dating of,
1: Rory McIlroy at all
0: no they're totally adorable and you know it, it, it works I mean her off-court personality is is I don't know it's easy to laugh about but it's good for the game and, and she's always been a really good ambassador to the game oh, yeah. for the game uh, the problem and the criticisms have always been about her on-court game and when she was winning all the time with that on-court game that you were mentioning, Ben, is one that's really reliant on your opponent's errors and stuff like that, but it was successful, um, it, was, it was easy to kind of be really critical of that, because that, that just wasn't, as, as the face of the WTA, you didn't want necessarily for that to be the face of the WTA. It wasn't necessarily good for the sport. So now that she's struggling, um, at least for me personally, I feel like there's a sense of, okay now you're realizing that that game doesn't work so that a sane person would change it. Yeah. So what I would like to see, and, and what I've always said, is that if Caroline would just make a few changes in her game...
1: Small changes.
0: It would Small changes. I mean, we're not talking about, like, go and like mortgage your home in Monaco in order to buy <laughs> yourself a first serve. Like, just little, little things. Little things here and there, a lot of it mental. You know, she'd be the player that would you know, justify that top ranking, but so I think that that's the but, but for, kind but for of all But traumatic-
1: for all the criticisms <clears throat> of her, though, I mean, she also is incredibly mentally tough in yes. matches. I mean, she has this refuse-to-lose mentality This sort of, you know, not letting go of any match that very few people in the WTA have, and that's really talking about everybody. It's of the level exactly. of a Serena, and she's probably surpassed Sharapova at this point, considering how Sharapova hasn't played well in a lot of big matches lately yeah so yeah
0: sure, was making you doubt a little bit yeah so every time i write that line of you know whenever i write about sharapova and i want to make some comment about her kind of never say die competitive spirit and stuff like that now i kind of have to stop myself and think about it a yeah, little it's, bit more it's
1: a bit past tense at this point it could come yeah.
0: back but it could come back but as of right now it's uh
1: Wozniak, had that and yeah. she She's one of the very few people recently who really broke on to the top levels of the game at a young age. It doesn't happen anymore. She wasn't that young, but she was the youngest person in the top 50 when she broke into it, I'm pretty sure. Youngest in the top 20, and the only teenager for a while in the in a higher rank. So, I mean, she's done a lot of things well, and there's a lot of Caroline Wolfe's story left to be written. Agreed. So I think we'll hear more from her. Just, do you think, this, this is the question about Caroline, do you think she'll win a slam ever?
0: I've always thought that she would. Um, I think that she will need some help. I think the draw has to break her way. Mm-hmm. But she has a game that's always going to give her a chance. It's, she just has to, the draw has to break. And, you know, what becomes frustrating is when you know, whether or not she knows it or not, but when you think that a player needs help to get the slam, it kind of diminishes their accomplishment or their talent a little bit right
1: Fair. i mean i i know that sam Soser, for example got a lot of help when she won her slam
0: she got a lot of help getting to the final yeah. i don't think she got a sh- that much help in the final no. that's fair you know what i mean yeah. like you know like the final is the final she played like remarkably well mm-hmm. but um getting there yeah her draw totally opened up I mean, I don't think she faced anybody within maybe the top 20. Oh, no, she faced Vera, but that doesn't count because she owns Vera. (laughs) Um, She
1: avoided players who own her. Yes. Wozniacki doesn't have quite as many people who own her, who aren't elite players.
0: Yeah. So. But let me ask you this, Ben. What is, when I say, what's your favorite Caroline Wozniacki moment? Encore? Whatever. Just, like, you hear Caroline Wozniacki, what is it that you think?
1: Um... (laughs) First thing that's coming to mind is her jumping on a balloon and, and not, <laughs> not popping it and well it's just cause that was so ridiculous. I I mean there's a lot of things. I mean she she's someone who's as a it's a huge highlight reel of stuff for someone who hasn't been around that long. It feels like she's been around forever. And she really mm-hmm. hasn't. Um, I'm a big fan of that, that uh baby woe song.
0: That oh, my heard.
1: Uh we'll try to get a link to that in here. That's pretty good. Her new song also. I mean, she has the established genre of Wozniak music at this point. Uh, <laughs>
0: she, has, she almost has a cassette single.
1: <laughs> double-sided.
0: Well, well, double-sided.
1: Yeah. Actually, the video for Oxygen, now that we're talking about Oxygen, I didn't think it was that bad compared to the song. Um, The part where she got a random text message to leave the restaurant, I thought left a lot of plot holes. But other than that...
0: Like I said on Beyond the Baseline, sequel! <laughs>
1: Hopefully, there's, hopefully there'll be an album. I mean, tennis is in need of an album. If Vince Spade couldn't come through with us, for us, with an album, you know, all our hopes are on Caroline at this point.
0: So true. So true. Yeah,
1: so, but we'll see what Caroline brings. I mean, there's just there's just a lot there. I mean, there's, you know, the dramatics of her um, you know, cramping and twirling around and crashing to the ground in Doha during the World Championships. Before mm-hmm. she's number one. I mean, you know, it's a lot of stuff. The fact that when she did make a one grand slam final, the semifinal she won was played in front of three hundred people on Armstrong.
0: Oh yes. Against Yanina Wickmayer?
1: Yeah. 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 So that was a grand slam final that happened. That's the one grand slam final she final she won. So mm-hmm. there's just a there's just mm-hmm. a lot there with Caroline. And, you know, she's always she's always been great to, pass- to deal with personally in, you know, interview settings. So as a person, yeah. and I think people sort of lose that with her, that she is one of the the nice ones on the tour for sure, and that is
0: genuine. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree with that, yeah. So. and uh, yeah, I, I think that that's an underrated thing sometimes. As people who maybe as people who
1: you know we do actually I
0: don't know, interact, we
1: do deal with we do you know work with these people to a certain level, yeah. So. She's a good...
0: No, and, and that's what I was going to say is that I think that that's an underrated quality to people who are like, um, who don't, aren't reliant on them. Yeah. Not reliant, but like interact with them, yeah. you know, and uh, like, I'm not reliant on Caroline. I don't need quotes from her, like whatever. If she gives me a good quote, then I'll go write a story about it, like whatever. But um, the kid always tries, yeah. you know, e- even in losses, you'll get very cliched answers They're understandable, but for the most part, especially compared to most players, um, she's solid, and she's a good kid. So
1: that was Caroline number six, and that leaves us with her uh, opposite number, David Ferrer. David Ferrer is someone we've talked about off air, about someone who's being hard to talk about. In terms of writing about David Ferrer, it's it's not easy. I mean, where does he fit in? As a top, previously top five, top six guy.
0: How is he relevant? How is he relevant? What is his narrative? What's his story? It's his what's, raison d'être. Yeah. What's his career arc? It's it's difficult, and that doesn't mean that we don't. I mean, I I love Ferrer, and I like watching him play. He's a perfectly nice person, and I mean, um, really classy, ultimate sportsman, all these sorts of things. But in the landscape, the current landscape of men's tennis, what is there really to say? Yeah. Like he's not, He doesn't fall into that category of players where you feel like he's a world beater.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he's not a, a Berdich or a Sanga or an Isner, um, Del Potro, who you feel like, okay, these guys, regardless of their rank, they step on the court of a slam, like they can pull off a big upset.
1: Yeah.
0: You don't feel like That'd he's that. If Ferrer
1: steps on the court with Federer, you know what's going on. Yeah.
0: yeah. He's, he's At best, he's a semifinalist twice um, i think the, yeah um
1: never won a master's other, title
0: never won a master's title he's, he's just a hard i mean it, it's just hard because it's like you just feel bad for players like that who they're great they're just not great enough yeah and because of that it is it, it's he's a difficult player to write about um i mean i'm because when he, when he wins, what's that supposed to mean? Like when he wins a title, do you really feel like that means that he's like a threat at a Masters or a threat at a major tournament?
1: Um, or is it just him taking care of business and beating lesser people?
0: Right. Yeah. And if you do what you were supposed to do, how is that a story? Yeah. And I mean that on, on a completely broader sense. Like, you know, what it Wasn't the it Acu sounds... is a
1: little interesting here actually too?
0: Okay, go with it.
1: Well, I mean, just basically, they're both defensive mostly players who were always very good at taking care of business at smaller tournaments, and for a while lacked big wins. And Ferrer did have some big wins in he broke through. I mean, he did beat Nadal at the US Open once. That was his first big breakthrough win. Back in 07 or something, but yeah. But he's never been number one, and people don't expect him to win a slam, I don't think.
0: I just think that in general, like, when a player does what they're supposed to do, it's just it's more difficult to find the story in that of course. and i and and, and not news that, at that point it's not news i mean like rafa winning on clay is only news insofar as you can say like look at these records that he's setting doing this yeah but even i don't know I mean, like on my the si account like um typically i tweet scores and things like that and generally i i, I tweet notable scores like you know and so today it was like oh mona barthel beat Anna Ivanovich, Shigelina Yankovic, you know, uh, retires to Caroline Wozniacki, Maria Sharapova's into the quarterfinals, like, whatever. But, like, for the men, I I opened up the thing, and I was like, so all the seeds won, Rafa won. I don't really know what, like, like, Rafa won, that's not necessarily a story. All the other men who won, look, you're not going to probably win (laughs) Barcelona. Yeah. It doesn't feel like as much of a story. Yeah. Like in terms of like me feeling like I needed to track them, it's uh, that's, so quite, that's, part, that's part of
1: them. the men's top heaviness though. I and mean, There's just so many fewer relevant men, and there were very true as of how the results go. Right. I mean, yeah, I and mean, that's just like the most notable
0: result that I feel like I saw today was the fact that like um, Montanes beat Tomich, which that. isn't even yeah. which isn't really a result because Tomich sucks on clay. But it's a result insofar as you can say, like, well, so Tomic still sucks on clay, and this guy is a relevant guy who's, you know, he's a big match player, and we have a major slam coming up, and he's not Tomic, great. Tomic
1: I mean, is an interesting counterexample to Ferrer, because Tomic, maybe partially because he comes from an English-speaking country, like ours, um, <laughs> although not ours, Australia. Um, he, and he's sort of young, talented guy. He's very enigmatic. He's someone who gets attention for at almost every match he plays. I mean, his result will always sort of be notable. Same way that other players like, um, I don't know. But basically, that's the opposite of Ferrer. Mm-hmm. It's Rare. Rare is very under the radar, and it's not, it's someone who's sort of in the in the shadows. fun to watch. Everyone thinks highly of him, but we just don't think he's super relevant.
0: It's it's hard whether he wins or he loses. It Doesn't mean
1: he's a failure in any in any way. No, I mean, not he, he no. had an he's amazingly successful ahead. career. People will talk about how he maximized you know all of his talent and his you know his size for a men's player he's really small. Yep. But yeah, it's just. But it
0: is difficult because it's it's whether you know whether he wins or he loses. It just really doesn't feel like it has any effect on the tennis landscape yeah. and. You know that 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 becomes a little difficult, but, uh, there, but I like there, it. There guy. are
1: guys who in his category, sort of in that category, Davidenko is coming to mind, who was in mm-hmm. this sort of role for a long time before trapped, but outside of the big two, big three. Mm-hmm. Um, and but Davidenko beat the big two or three more.
0: That's the thing. And
1: he also won titles that were bigger. He won the year-end championships. He won Miami. Miami. He won Shanghai. So, and oh. Ferrer hasn't done any of that. So, Ferrer, actually, Ferrer not winning a Masters is a fairly surprising stat when you think about it. You feel like he should have. He's been around long enough. Some people... Not...
0: Uh, the only one that I could see him winning is like Monte Carlo because it's a non-mandatory. But the problem is Rafa plays there. So that's just not going to happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know. He is what he is. It's David Ferrer. Yes. He's number six. I'll take a number.
0: Sorry for our fans. I don't want that to come off as like super negative. It's just I don't know. I'm being honest.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's realistic with him. I think. Yeah. We we are we, we think very highly of him as a person, as a professional, for you know putting in a good effort. But the upside, it feels like an overachiever, which is an interesting word in tennis. I think it's you know very backhanded.
0: Like you're not supposed to be here. Well, both of them. I mean, overachiever and underachiever. Even as an underachiever, it's like, so you had high expectations. That should kind of be a compliment. Right. But I didn't achieve them, so that's a slap in the face. Yep. yep.
1: Either are nice. Either are nice. Yeah. So there we go. Mm-hmm. We'll try to be nicer next time.
0: We'll try. We'll do our best.
1: But you like, you like him more than Fognini, at least. So that's great.
0: I do. I do. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I do like David Ferrer more than Fabio Fagnini. Very fair. Yes
1: that's it for us this week oh, no challenges remaining we hope you enjoyed these high range players as much as we did I sort of <laughs> feel like you know we've been eating can in all our life and we just switched to caviar it's very nice
0: this was a moment for us this was a moment well, it's uh, something that we really truly want to savor
1: I feel like it gave me oxygen
0: <laughs> oh, horrible
1: yeah breathing it in as much as I can I was thinking, actually, about the oxygen video, going back to that. That it would have been okay. cool if she could have put more product placement in there and been on a Turkish Airlines flight and had an oxygen mask drop down. Which, you don't want, especially with your airline, you need the oxygen mask, but I don't know. I thought it could have worked. I thought kind the video could have of, been you know, a lot more ridiculous, basically.
0: Yes, that is definitely true. I definitely think it should have been more ridiculous. I also think that the directorial decision... To have her be completely humorless was so off. Yeah. Like Caroline is a smiley, giggly like chick. Like let her be smiling, giggly. Like don't make her stand there not, emotionless.
1: shouldering you know. Yeah.
0: Type. That was so dumb.
1: Yeah. Anyway. I felt bad for her. We will see you next time. Remember to keep breathing, people. Until then. Oh,